If you would, why don't you grab your Bible and turn to Psalm 23. And maybe you don't need it because you've memorized it a long time ago, but let's read the whole thing together again. And uh, we're going to dive into one verse specifically today, verse 4. Here's what David's psalm says. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Today we're going to take a look at, at verse 4 uh, specifically, but I want to use the last phrase of verse 3 to kind of launch us into the discussion of what David puts in this one particular verse. If you remember, this is what he says at the end of verse 3, that he, that is the good shepherd, that is the father, leads him in paths of righteousness for his namesake. And then he says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. Obviously, what David has in mind about the paths of righteousness includes the valleys. They're connected clearly right here in verse 3 and verse 4. And he says, even though I walk in those valleys of darkness, I, I won't fear evil. I won't be afraid. Um, there are many translations, different translations that kind of add color to this phrase. Some of them describe it as um, even though I walk in the darkest valley, and I think if we use that, that idea, that may, might even make it more poignant of a picture for us. The idea of a dark valley is David's way of describing the darkest of darkest valleys. It's his way of saying the worst kind of darkness or a deep death darkness. And that might sound like exagger exaggerated language, but David is making a point clearly. I don't know if you've ever been in that kind of darkness, like physically speaking. You know, the kind of darkness that doesn't allow you to see. I mean, many, many years ago, I lived in Tucson, Arizona. I think it was 1984, I went spelunking in the caves at Mount Lemmon. And there was a moment when, when we got deep enough into the recesses of those caves, the darkness was profound. You, you could put your hand in front of your face and, and not see it. You could feel the temperature, but you could not see. You could be an inch from a wall and not know the wall was there. That kind of profound darkness is sort of how David is describing the darkness of the soul um, that is included in one of the paths of righteousness here. One of the things that I think is, is poignant when you think about this language of the 23rd Psalm is just to picture a shepherd and sheep. And that's what David has in mind here. Um, what I think David has in mind is there is there's moments where a shepherd is leading sheep that they enter into a valley that is so deep that even though the sun is shining, there's darkness at the bottom. The ravines are cut so deep into the mountains that, that the sun doesn't get there. And I suppose if that's a picture, then that's a picture that helps us all relate. That every one of us, uh, every person at some point faces a moment like this, or maybe moments like this, where things get that dark. Um, and I suppose it's, it is fair to say it's not a matter of if it happens but a matter of when it happens. Everybody goes through moments like that. Um, 
David is describing a darkness when his life is at its worst. And every one of us have that moment, right? I remember a couple times in my own life, one that is more vivid than any other. It's the, the moment when God saved me or the season in which God saved me. I remember being a happy-go-lucky 20-year-old and then suddenly all I could see was my sin. And it was, it was several weeks of processing just seeing my sin and to such a point that I felt like I was having an anxiety attack. I didn't know what to do with it. It was so heavy it felt like the world was on my shoulders. It was, as I would describe it, for me, one of those deep, dark places. And as life goes on, there are moments like that even now. There are nights I can't sleep. Uh, where I stare at the ceiling and my mind refuses to quit on my regrets, my sin, my failure, the things that I could have done, should have done differently. And sometimes it's overwhelming. Those are moments of what I would call profound darkness. And I know every one of us have our moments, maybe for different reasons, that, that are could be described like the valley of the shadow of death. Possibly it's a death of a loved one, you know, someone you're really close to, a wife, a friend, a child, um, a husband. And the loss is so profound. Um, your heart is so ruptured and broken that it feels like a valley of darkness, a shadow of death. Perhaps uh, sometimes it is, it is a rejection. You know, you want to belong, you want to fit. And maybe the people that you think should accept you most are the ones who reject you the most. Could be a, a parent to a child or a child to a parent. Maybe it could be, uh, again, some close relationship and it just hurts at the deepest level. Uh, sometimes it's profound loneliness or, or a sense of isolation. I, COVID-19, people are feeling that. That's what I'm hearing, that there's a, there's a sense of just, I am totally alone. And in, in that in that moment of feeling that uh, loneliness, there is this sense of, of, of darkness in their life. And some, sometimes it, it could be um, failure. And I'm, I venture to say for Christians, this is where we really kind of line up together. Our sin, it, it's, like, it's like David. It's failure that keeps us up o- overnight and keeps us overwhelmed. David says something profound here. Even though he experiences this deep, deep, profound darkness, he says something great as well. And he says that in the midst of this darkness, he also experiences the presence of the Good Shepherd there in the Valley of Darkness. You uh, maybe have read the story of David. Maybe you know his tale. And I have to think that David has some or not, if not all of these things in his mind when he thinks about writing even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. David, in, in, in those days, the youngest son was responsible for the worst work, the work that nobody wanted to do. And so David was the shepherd boy. You know this. David went out in the field to care for his father's flock. His brothers didn't want that job. So he had that job. And out in the desert, where there are lions and there's bears, where there are people who want to do harm, a, a t- like a really young teenager was guarding the flock with a sling. I have to wonder sometimes that David, just thinking about that scenario, how afraid he could have been or concerned he could have been. Maybe perhaps that's it in his mind. What about what the story that David's most famous for, 
as a teenage boy standing in front of the giant Philistine Goliath with a sling and stones. <laughs> I don't know what he's thinking, but it would be reasonable to have fear, uh, some level of concern. Man, I hope I don't miss. I hope this matters. And that could be in David's mind. Possibly, possibly when David was asked to serve the king, Saul, and he did it in a, in a great way, and yet Saul lost his mind and turned on David, considered David someone to be guarded against. And Saul went on a hunt for David, and David was always moving about, trying to get out from underneath the spear of King Saul, and he had done nothing wrong. Maybe that's what he has in mind here. Maybe it's the, maybe it was the constant battles as king with the Philistines over and over again, just constantly fighting against those who'd war against God's people. Maybe it's perhaps his son, his son who gathered an army to come after his dad, to overthrow his father. Maybe that's his darkest moment. Maybe it was another story, the story of Bathsheba. He sees a woman and he takes her. And to cover his sin, he has her husband murdered. I think maybe David has everything in his mind. Perhaps all of that uh, is overwhelming to him. Any one of those experiences could be a part of describing this valley of the shadow of death. And it represents perfectly kind of story form of kind of our experiences of darkness in our life. Way too many troubles, way too often and way too dark is how it's perceived. But there should be a ginormous exception clause here. But, but even in the dark places, David says, there is the presence of the good shepherd. He is there. Just as real as the trouble is the presence of the Father. And just as real is the darkness, is the rescue of God. That is what he's saying in this passage for us. In verse 3, David says that the good shepherd leads us. Uh, that's a big word there. Leads us in the paths of righteousness. There's a part of us that when we think about that word, because we're not shepherds, um, we, we picture a grassy field where this this flock and the shepherd are kind of meandering their way to another place. And uh, I understand how we would feel that way, but there is something profound in the leadership of the shepherd. The, sh the shepherd is moving the sheep to places they don't instinctively want to go. He is a shepherd who makes the sheep uncomfortable enough to leave where they're at, to go where he knows is best. And I suppose that helps us. It, it changes how we perceive the trouble or the pain or the darkness that we have to deal with. So let me ask you a question today. What if, what if God had somewhere special he wanted to take you and you refused to go? Like you just loved where you were. You, you're just like everybody else. We're comfortable and we like our routine. We like that for certain. What if, what if the father, what if the good shepherd has something good for you, some better place for you, something that would be about how you grow in your heart and you grow in your faith and you grow in your joy and you're just not as interested as he is or just not as certain how to get there as he is? And uh, I guess that's, that's the question to ask. What if, what if the trouble, what if the darkness... What if the suffering is God's leading? 
That's a profound question to ask as we consider verse four today. David says in verse four, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. There's only one possible way you could say that. I'm not going to fear evil, even in trouble. And that is that the presence of the shepherd makes such a profound difference that he can say, therefore, no fear, right? It is the presence of the shepherd that brings courage. It is the presence of the shepherd that brings comfort. It's the presence of the shepherd that brings perspective. And that's how David describes it here. So I guess another good question to ask is where is the good shepherd in your life? It's one thing to keep hearing about how even in the midst of our darkness, there is comfort and there is peace because the good shepherd's there. But if you don't know the good shepherd, then this will be nonsense to you. It will make no sense whatsoever. David says that your rod and your staff, they'll comfort me. Uh, there's a picture that I think my mind goes to, or at least it used to go to automatically. Um, I couldn't figure out how a rod and staff could bring comfort to sheep because to, to me, a rod and, and a staff are kind of more visibly like a, a, a discipline tool. Like how, do, how does a rod and staff get used against sheep? But that is not at all what a rod and staff or a shepherd are. A rod and a staff were meant to be tools to use to protect sheep from invading people or animals or predators. And a rod and a staff, it's interesting, uh, shepherds would say this, as a shepherd would walk through the fields with their sheep and the sheep would be around them, the shepherd would lay their rod, their staff on the backs of the sheep and it's just, it was just a comforting feeling to a sheep to know that, well, he's here, the shepherd's here. The, the rod and the staff weren't disciplinary tools, they were comfort tools, protection tools which is a wonderful, wonderful way, again, to see how David sees the Good Shepherd. Again, our peace and our protection come from the presence of the Good Shepherd. Maybe you've seen this before, but I want you to notice something that's just profound in this entire psalm. I want you to see and notice how personal it is. There's no use of the terms we or they or them or us. It's not like that. It's, he uses personal pronouns. I and me over and over again to describe this relationship between himself and the good shepherd. In other words, I want you to know today that this relationship we have with the good shepherd is very personal. Like we use the language all the time, like a father to children. He knows you. He knows what concerns you. He knows what overwhelms you. He knows when those moments feel like you're going to get just washed over in darkness. He is aware. He is close to you. He knows what stresses you and concerns you. And he loves you with a love that no one in your life could love you with. A profound, eternal, faithful love. He is the good shepherd and he will deliver us. It's interesting if you stand back and look at this whole psalm, most of it instinctively is, is kind of taken as good. You know, who wouldn't see that he is my shepherd? I won't have a want. And green pastures and quiet waters and, and mercy and goodness will follow me and, and I'll overflow with your kindness. All these things are just instinctively a wonderful picture. Verse four, though, sounds like a problem. It is the stuff we don't like to talk about. Darkness and evil, right? Those are the things that intersect here in this, in this passage but so here's a question. Why? 
Um, why the valley of the shadow of death? Why do we have to walk in dark valleys? God is sovereign. He could remove them, couldn't he? He could just get us around them and just keep us always and forever in places that we prefer. Why do we have to go through fear or fight with fear? Why do we have to experience times of trouble and times of darkness? And this is extremely important. So I need you to really hear me on this. Why are the sheep, why do we go through the valley of the shadow of the, of death, one simple reason, because the good shepherd is leading us there. This is not a mistake. This is not a misstep. We didn't just kind of wander into bad places that the father didn't want us. The good shepherd is leading us through the valleys of darkness. Something that, that most of us wouldn't even understand about sheep, because as I said, we don't work with sheep. But sheep are so not instinctive about their needs. They will never look for change. In fact, they'll, they'll stay and graze on ground until they eat the dirt and die. That's how simple-minded sheep are. What a perfect picture for how we as people are. We don't know what's good for us. We don't know when to move. We don't know what to subtract or what to add. And it is the good shepherd who does. So a really important question to ask ourselves today is why would God do it then? If he's leading us, why is he leading us to these dark places? Why, why the pain along the way? Why the uncertainty? Why the struggle with all these things? Well, here's what you have to conclude. If he's leading us, and he's already told us that he's leading us to paths of righteousness, then where he's leading us, that includes the dark valleys, are a better place for us. That's the math. Why? Is because he's leading us to a, a better place. He knows exactly what we need. He knows what's best. And we have to admit, humbly, we don't know what's best. We don't have those perspectives, those, those sovereign perspectives, those all-knowing perspectives. He knows when to take us to a better place. And what we're prone to want is familiar and routine and comfortable. Like sheep will stay so long in one place that will eat the proverbial dirt and die. And the Father knows what's best for us. And what's good to remember here, because he is taking us to good places, paths of righteousness, what is right and true and good for you, and what is the right direction, he knows those things. But these places, these places that end up being our experience of green pastures and still waters, that he's always leading us to, are not separated by cute white picket fences. It's not like one pasture to the next. Green pastures are divided by dark valleys. And in those dark valleys, God is doing a work in our hearts, a work of trust and a work of faith and a work of joy in our hearts. He is so for us, he is so into us that he's gonna make sure that he's gonna get us to those places that are good for us even though it includes going through these moments where we see more of our sin than we want, we see more of other people's sin than we want, we see more trouble than we ever cared for, and yet he's still doing the same work. And what I love about this passage, again, how personal it is, it isn't just like the good shepherd's gonna tell his sheep, the pastures are over there, go there. He says that he goes with us. He says, I'll fear no evil, for you are with me. The good shepherd never leaves us. He never forsakes us. 
He never just instructs us and leaves us on our own. Every step along our journey that is for our good, we have his presence with us. It's a wonderful truth, right? He's always by our sides as he leads us in the paths of righteousness. And I just want to remind you what should be obvious. Sometimes it feels like the darkness is most of our story. But the darkness isn't where he's leading you. It's just one of the ways to get to the green pastures. It's just part of the journey. It's, um, it's interesting. My son told me uh, last week of a story um, with his daughter, my oldest granddaughter, Lila. They were watching the Easter service or one of the services that we put online. And there was a song that they were singing that um, I think it was called His Mercy is More. And the line in the song that was real specific was uh, stronger than darkness and new every morn. Uh, My sins, they are many, but his mercy is more. Hopefully you remember that line from the song. And for some reason at that moment, uh, Lila, I mean, she's almost three years old. She just looked at her parents and said, darkness, darkness is not for me. And Jed, trying to be the good dad, he, he uh, wanted to make certain she understood or he understood what was being said or whatever. And he said to Lila, he said, you know, you know who makes the darkness goes? go? Jesus does. Jesus makes the darkness go. And then she said this, God gets mad at the darkness and says, go away, darkness. Lila is not for you. It makes me cry because in a very childlike, profound way, when we're going through dark valleys and they feel like overkill by the father or the shepherd, he should know better. You cannot accuse him of taking you to a dark place and leaving you there. It's on the way to good and joy and peace that's profound, that passes all understanding. So let, let the words of Lila ring in your ears. Darkness is not for you, right? The Father is for you. He loves you with a profound, everlasting love. So as we back up from our story, from our trouble, from our suffering, from the difficulty in our life, when we would say, these are valleys of darkness, um, just remind yourself that the Father is leading you somewhere. He's going with you and he's going to do good with it. That's the encouragement we have for, for us today. And it's, it's every time we get together, we celebrate the, the kind of the confirmation of those absolutes in our life, right? We take a common uh, piece of bread and a, a cup of juice and profoundly declare what is true from God through Christ to us, that all of our trouble, all of our difficulties ultimately have been met in the love of Christ for us. Paul says in Romans chapter five, some amazing things. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have obtained access by faith, access to the Father, into his grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, in our dark valleys, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. 
And one passage just right after that, it says, for while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for the righteous person, though perhaps for the good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When we take a piece of bread like our Lord did with his disciples, we are reminding ourselves what he told them and what we know now, that he went to the cross and his flesh was pulverized for the sins of his people. If you confess Jesus, his body was broken for you. So take this bread and confess that truth and remind your heart that that punishment was poured out on Christ and it will not be poured out on you. Let's eat together. After supper, Jesus took a cup of wine and said, this represents a new covenant in my blood. This relationship with the Father by grace alone, through faith alone in Christ alone. This is our confession that every time we drink, we remind ourselves, just not by works, it's not by my effort. My, my failures can't withhold uh, His grace because His grace has been given as a gift. So church, I don't care what dark places you've been in. And if your dark places are like David's or like mine, where you see mostly your regrets and your failures, I want to remind you today that this cup, this cup of grace remembers your sin no more. That's what Psalm 103 says. As far as the east is from the west, so far He's removed your transgressions from you. And that is true. So as you drink, remind yourself that it's grace, free grace in faith in Christ. Let's drink together. Let's pray. God, I thank you for um, the good news. The good news that we just celebrated in taking your cup and your bread, but also the good news of David's psalm. Even though we walk to the valley of the shadow of death, the dark, darkest valleys. We won't fear. Why? Because you're with us. You're for us. You're doing a work in us. You know better than us. You are better than us. And every step of the way in our life, the things that we don't like the things that we don't want, the things that seem to break our hearts. Father, you know what you're doing and you know where you're taking us. So God, I suppose if there's one request that I can ask today, that for everyone listening, that you'd give them a profound sense of your presence, no matter what place they're at right now. And God, help them understand where you're taking them, a place of peace and joy and comfort. And remind all of us, Father, that you're never gone. We're never alone. You are always with us. God, we love you. And we love you for your faithfulness to us and your amazing goodness for us. And we pray this because of Christ our Savior. Amen. Let's continue to worship together.